is he? Hey, how's it going? You're crazy! What is he? You're crazy, man! Uh. Where does he come from? <clears throat> you kill us all! You kill us all! Keep away! Dark Gardner! <laughs> Is that not the most completely ridiculous, overblown thing you've ever heard in your entire life? I love it. That was something I came up with a while ago when uh, I was considering doing a, a solo podcast. Still considering doing a solo podcast, but at the same rate, I'm like, well, you know... This theme's not doing anything at the moment. Back to the Bins isn't doing anything at the moment. Let's uh, let's put the two of them together and see what happens. So I get a kick out. I just sometimes I just amuse myself. So I thought I'd use that theme for when I do solo episodes of this, which uh, I plan to do actually fairly frequently. So I'm really glad for all the positive feedback I got on the uh, recent solo episode of this show that I put out. Thank you guys very much for that. I'm Scott Gardner, by the way, as if you didn't gather that from the uh, (laughs) ridiculous and overblown intro. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into this. I'm serious, though, guys. Uh, Thank you for all the positive feedback. You know, I asked for feedback about the uh, recent solo episode that I did and what you guys thought. And uh, I really, really appreciated it. A little something about that. You know, I was really... um, I was really touched by, again, my memory stinks. I can't remember who brought this up or who who said it, but something somebody had said something to the effect of, you know, my speaking voice during the whole thing and you know the my presence and blah blah blah. And this also came up on feedback for for something to do with uh, a Two True Freaks episode. It's on our forum. You can find it. And Chris Honeywell had said something that actually I had meant to address and say myself, which is. You know, he speculated that maybe, you know, the work that I do might have had something to do that. For those that don't know, and I've been trying to keep this a little more on the download lately because sometimes I feel like I'm coming across bragging about it or something like that. But then again, why not brag about it? For those that don't know, in my professional life, I am a monorail pilot at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. No, I'm not making that up. That's really what I do. And... As part of my job, I have to spiel, or you know what they call spieling, which is basically you know you have to talk to your passengers on you know on board the train, and I do this pretty frequently. And you know, for those that don't know, you know driving the monorail, it, it, there's a lot more to it than what it may appear at first. You know, when you when you see these pilots in in quick glimpses, you know, and I know I used to think it when I was uh, you know just a guest going to the parks. You'd see them and think two things. For one, that looks really cool. And for two, that looks really simple. It's a lot more complicated than you might think, especially when you have to drive the train, listen to the radio, and spiel all at the same time. It can get a little involved. And so one of the things I train myself to do right off the bat, as much as humanly possible, is to do the whole spiel you know, one take live and not screw up, which again is a lot more complicated than that may sound. Anyway, this is a very long-winded way of saying that last episode that I did, and I'm not sure which episode, 82, I think was the 81 or 82, I forget. Anyway, believe it or not, that's all one take on that show that you're hearing. I didn't edit that at all. 
And uh, I'm actually, I'm very proud of that, you know. So, hey, if this com- comes across as braggerish, well, I'm bragging. Because I was impre- I impressed myself with that, with the, the fact that I didn't have to sit and, and mess around with it later on in post and take out ums and ahs and things that I felt I was uncomfortable with. I just slapped it out there the way it was. And when I listened back to it, I was like, hey, that wasn't half bad. So, anyway... This time around, I'm very excited about this. You know, here something really neat about uh, podcasting. I think you'll get a kick out of this, too. Something very cool about t- uh, podcasting is sometimes there's a little bit of time travel involved with podcasting. I'll give you a perfect example. As I record this right now, as I sit and record this, last night I recorded an episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America with my good buddy, Michael Bailey. And this is an episode that you, if you're listening to this episode as I'm releasing it, you're not going to hear that episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America for at least a couple of episodes. So a couple weeks is basically what you're looking at. So we're going to do a little bit of time travel here. We're actually going to talk about a comic that came up in conversation in the episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America that Mike and I recorded last night that you're not going to hear for two weeks. You follow all that? Cool. What we Part of what we do on that show is we have a segment called Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse where we look at comics that came out in the same month as the comic that we're looking at. So we go to this awesome site called Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. If you haven't, if you don't know about it, never been there, go check it out. It's a really cool site where you can find yourself just spending hours and hours pouring through just awesome comic book stuff. But part of their site, part of Mike's site, is you can go there and you can see images of. You, you can basically like look at stuff that would have all been on the comic rack all at the same time or within a certain month or something like that. Well, what we do is we'll plug in the month and the year and we'll look at all the the DC comics that were on the stands at the same time as a given issue that we're looking at. So last night when we were doing that, one of the comics that uh, that we saw that we discussed was Legion of Superheroes number 304, which is an issue I always liked. And right there on the cover was one of my favorite obscure characters. I have, a, I have a real fondness for like really obscure comic book characters sometimes. One of my very favorites was a character called Laurel Kent. And so Mike and I were talking about this, and Laurel, you know, Laurel Kent became a, a brief topic of conversation. And earlier in the day, as I was making my notes for the show and everything, I had actually spied a quick look at those comics that we were going to discuss in that Elsewhere segment, something I rarely do. I don't usually do that. I'm usually very spontaneous with that. I don't know what possessed me. But anyway, I had spied a look at it, saw that cover, got to thinking about Laurel Kent, a character I hadn't really thought about in a long time, and I suddenly realized, you know, hey, this is is the Internet age now. I can actually go, and there's probably a wiki for Laurel Kent. Something that, you know, definitely didn't exist when I was more familiar with that character. You know, when those adventures were first coming out, that sort of thing. You know, the best you could hope for is maybe a who's who. Which she actually did get at one point. But one thing that... One improvement I always wanted who's who to make that they never did. And I can understand why when it comes to characters like, say, Superman or Batman. 
I really wanted there to be a list of appearances of the characters. I always thought that that would have been a great feature for both Who's Who and, you know, the uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe. But again, I can understand why they wouldn't want to do that with characters like Spider-Man and Captain America, for example, over there. I still think it would have been cool, though, if they could somehow figure out a way to, to pull that off. Anyhow... Got me to thinking about Laurel Kent. So I went, sure enough, there's a wiki for for Laurel Kent. Now, I had always believed that Laurel Kent was a creation of Keith Giffen. And I'm trying to remember who the writer was on that Legion stuff when Giffen was the art. And I'm pretty sure it was Paul Levitz. If I'm wrong, somebody will write in and correct me. But I'm pretty sure it was Paul Levitz. Anyway... I thought that she was their creation because she kind of just popped in out of nowhere. And again, I'm giving you my perspective of how I was introduced to the character. I really got really, really into Legion when it was that classic, you know, the Giffen. I always call it the Giffen stuff because he was the artist. I've always been more artist-focused than than writer-focused as a comic book person. Um, so I've always called it the Giffen stuff, but in fairness, it was the Levitz and Giffen stuff. Um, I really got into that, and, and that was the first time that I actually collected and read Legion as far as being dedicated to it month after month. Before that, it had always been very, very spotty, you know, whatever issues I could grab here and there of Superboy and Superboy and the Legion and eventually Legion, but I didn't follow the book regularly until they came along and their story was a narrative it was an ongoing tale and the characters really got fleshed out it became a really solid book it was right up there with uh, new teen titans and you know although i didn't read x-men it was right up there with like uh, x-men as far as its popularity and everything because it had great stories with great characterization it's this was really the beginning of true comic book characterization for uh for, for the characters so anyway, Laurel Kent, from my perspective, popped in during this time, and she was just one of these obscure background characters that was rarely used, and often all you would catch is a glimpse sort of thing, and I just was fascinated by her, because it became obvious pretty quickly that she had some ties to Superman, that more than likely she was a descendant of Superman, but she was never, um, at that point in the Le that Legion era, she never was forefront. So she was always just one of these characters that w was very intriguing because she was mysterious, you know. It was obvious looking at her that there was some Superman thing here, but they, they never spelled it out, you know. And I loved, part, I, you know, I'm going to come clean with this. Part of the fascination was... You have to remember, this was a time when I was uh, I, a young man with raging hormones. You know, I was a teenager, and her look was fantastic. She basically looked like Lois Lane wearing a Superman cape that just barely covered her uh, lady bits. And it was easy to imagine that she didn't have anything on underneath that outfit. So, you know, think of that what you will. But that's kind of, it was, you know, I'm just being honest, that was kind of the fascination with her was that she was sexy. Really, really sexy. As a matter of fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I was not a follower of the show, but I believe that there's out there somewhere, there is an image, uh, a promotional image of, oh God, what's it, Terry Hatcher? from the, uh, the New Adventures of Lois and Clark, 
where she's wrapped in Superman's cape. Go with that. That's kind of what Laurel Kent looked like in that Legion stuff that I'm talking about. So anyway, I went, looked her up. There's a wiki. And I was amazed to find that most everything that they had on there about her, I already knew because I I collected the, the comics during that era. I was reading Legion, that sort of thing. Um, but the two things that really shocked me was her first appearance because I was like, wow, really? She was introduced then? Had no idea. And then a little bit of future stuff. Uh, evidently, she has kind of managed to worm her way back into comics slightly here and there um, post Infinite Crisis, which I had had no idea. I've only read DC spottily since post-Infinite Crisis, so it was interesting. She's definitely not the same character, but it's nice to kind of see that she's still being utilized in some fashion or form. But what really surprised me was what was listed for her first appearance. I was like, really? So I looked it up, and it's Superboy... Um, and this was at a time when the Legion was bannered on the covers, yet the title had not yet been officially changed. It would be eventually. It would become Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. And then <laughs> this, the Legion would eventually kick Superboy out of his own book, and it would become the Legion of Superheroes. This is still a time when it was Superboy, and this cover says Superboy starring the Legion of Superheroes. But Superboy's still very prominent on it. We're going all the way back to... June 1976 for, I'm proud to say, this is pretty much a pristine, no, well, not quite pristine. I will say near mint copy of Superboy, number 217. Now, uh, I don't know how long I've had this sitting around in my unread issues bin. I've really been on a tear lately trying to collect and fill in all my holes in this era of what I call the Mike Grell era of Superboy and the Legion. And again, in fairness to the uh, to the author, I should be calling this the uh, Jim Shooter and sometimes Carrie Bates, the Shooter Bates Grell era. But again, I always go with the artist, so this is to me the Mike Grell era. I love this stuff. This uh, was definitely when I was uh, first getting into comics as a kid, and you know, just getting them spottily. You know, when mom and dad would pick up an issue at the you know the drugstore or something like that. Before I became like a serious collector, I mean, I would have been all of what eight years old when this comic came out. Um, but anyway, at some point, while I've been buying up more of these back issues to fill in the holes and read the stories that I have not yet read, I acquired this one. So I have no, no idea how long it's been sitting around in, the, in my vast unread pile. But I was so happy to find that, at least according to this wiki article, I had Laurel's first appearance and had never read it, had never discovered it. So I dug this out. And there's actually two stories in this book, the first of which I'm going to skip right past because it was good as far as the art and everything, but the story was a little bit silly. It was about this Kun warlord and his his sort of pseudo-chess battle with uh, Brainiac 5. It, it was okay. It was called The Charge of the Doomed Legionnaires. You can hunt it up, read it on your own sometime. It was all right. But the story that I really want to talk about is the backup feature in this one little short story called Future Shock for Superboy. And it's neat. It has the, the introductory panel 
shows Superboy flying in. It also uh, is touted as a very personal story about Superboy in the 30th century. And it shows this girl in a very skimpy outfit. I really like this. Very skimpy and also very 70s. Being shot in the back by wildfire. Superboy's uh, Legion compatriot. And Superboy's thinking to, to himself, I found her at last, but too late, only in time to see her die. <laughs> said he could find a needle in a haystack so powerful was his supervision yet as he scanned every nook searched every cranny of the city the girl eluded him why who was she the surprising answer would make for a future shock for superboy and we start off the story a sunny uh yeah sunny sunny summer day just outside smallville we see this little mom and pop gas station the guys uh filling up the car and wiping the windshield this is back in the days when uh, they actually serviced your car when you would pull up to the gas pump and uh, the dad's even still sitting behind the wheel doesn't even have to get out and pump his own gas little girl's poking her head out of the back of the car saying up there daddy look it's superboy and sure enough Superboy is zipping across the town, and there's this great multi-panel thing where he's actually breaking the time barrier, moving so fast that he flies through time, flies past, as the narration tells us, past the uh, period of his own adulthood, travels a thousand years to the year 2976, the era of the Legion of Superheroes. And I love, love Mike Grell's art. Love Mike Grill, Superboy, and I really always dug his depiction of what the 30th century was going to look like. It's very Epcot-y, and I get a real kick out of that. And right off the bat, there was one of these uh, one of these comic book isms, I'll call it, of the future that always drives me bat crazy. Is this thing with uh, these people standing around on? sidewalks in the futuristic city the sidewalks that have no railing so it's like all the buildings are connected by these like just strips that everybody's walking on i can remember chris honeywell and i talking about this over on two true freaks during one of our star wars monthly monday shows we did some story i think it was the story about princess leia going to the banker planet which is one wacky episode you got to listen to that if you haven't already heard it and I remember saying in that how it drives me crazy that all these futuristic cities are always depicted with these sidewalks and sometimes even roadways where they're driving cars on these just strips in the sky. And I'm like, why don't the people just fall off? <laughs> it's actually addressed in this. I love that. So Superboy's flying in and uh, the people are cheering and Superboy's all like, hey, this is cool. You know, they know me from their history tapes as well as my feats with the Legion. And he says, uh-oh, somebody fell into a magnetic canal. And he explains how there's these special canals all around the city that run on magnetic waves and the cargo floats down through. And I'm thinking, okay, this is the people mover. I like this. I can follow this concept. So there's these giant um, shipments, almost like a, like a freight train type of thing, but they're floating on magnetic waves down through these special canals. Well, there's this person down in the canals, and Superboy's concerned that they're about to get smushed. So he zips down there. Now, why he didn't use his supervision ahead of time is beyond me, but he zips down thinking, I'm going to rescue this guy. He gets down there, and it ain't no guy. It's this gorgeous, gorgeous, sexy, sexy girl wearing this very, very skimpy, sexy 70s outfit. And he's like, hey, a girl. And wow, what a girl. So he gets down there, and something that, to my memory anyway, I don't think we saw very much of Superboy at this time. He shows off. And I like this. 
Instead of just scooping up the girl and flying her to safety, he actually just casually lands in a very, very Superman-like pose with his, his hand on one hip. His other hand, he reaches out and clong, he stops the shipment just dead where it is. And I mean, this has to be tons and tons of material he's backing up just to impress this girl, but it's pretty neat. And he even says, I wonder if Gorgeous is impressed. He scoops her up, flies her out, and he says... How did you fall in there in the first place? The electro-force, quote-unquote, railings on the skywalks are supposed to prevent that. So I was like, yes, of course. Okay, there's like invisible guardrails. Duh, that makes a lot of sense. I just wish I'd heard about that before. See, I, I stay up late nights thinking about these sorts of things. Anyway, she says, I'm just extra clumsy, I guess. Don't you know who I am? He says, no, should I? And she says, why no, I guess you shouldn't. I'm, uh, and she's obviously making up a name. She says, Elna. Now, right off the bat, and of course, I had the leg up because I already know who this character is. But I like to think that over 30 years of reading comic books, I've learned a few things. And I, right off the bat, I realized that this was an anagram. At least I think that's what you call it. When you jumble up the letters of a, of a word, that's an anagram, right? Anyway, so it's Lane all jumbled up. And, uh... He says, why, Elna? I don't think I've ever carried a prettier passenger. And right off the bat, these two characters really hit it off. And I really like the way Shooter wrote this to where there's an instant both attraction and an instant uh, sexual um, sexual tension, I guess you could call it, between them. But a sexual, you know, definitely a, 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 an attraction between the two characters. It's done just masterfully. And so he spends an indeterminate amount of time with her, and you turn the page, and there's obviously a jump in time without there being a narration saying, you know, half an hour later or whatever. And he says, you've seen all my history tapes twice and read all my Legion adventures, but you still have a lot of questions. When do I find out about you? And then from off panel, you see somebody say, hey, Superboy. He says, it's Wildfire, Elna, one of my Legion buddies. I'll introduce you. Elna, where are you going? And she runs off, and he wants to go after her. And it's Wildfire that holds him back. And Wildfire actually says, I love this, who was the chick? <laughs> so evidently they still talk this way in the 30th century. And he says, Elna, that's all I know, but I've got to stop her. And he says, uh-uh, pal, we're already due, to a, uh, we're already due at, a, at the meeting. So they go to this Legion meeting, and Superboy's distracted the whole time. Can't wait for the stupid meeting to be over, because I, I imagine it's just a lot of bureaucracy, because the Legion of Superheroes, much like the Justice League of this era, all about the bureaucracy and the paperwork. So as soon as it's all over, Superboy's like, screw you guys, I'm going to go find that girl. So he zips all over the city. And there's even a thing here where he says, I'll use my X-ray vision, X -ray vision to check every building. Well, that's an invasion of privacy, Superboy, but we'll let it slide this time because he's a young man in love. And we see a panel of Laurel Kent actually crying. And she says, I should have told him the truth about myself. I should have told him right away. Why didn't I? And it's great. It's a classic, like, love comics panel. But I really like this. He zips all over the city. And hours later, you know, there's a, the moon is out. It's nighttime. Superboy's really torn up about this. He can't find her. He's really become obsessed with this girl. And he realizes that there's only one place left in the entire city that he hasn't searched. Legion Headquarters. So he goes back there, and there's a light behind the building that attracts his attention. He zips around behind the building, and sure enough, he's just in time to see Wildcat blasting her in the back. And it looks, for you know all the world from Superboy's perspective, that Wildfire has just killed Elna. 
And he zips down and he snaps up Wildfire and he's got his fist cocked back. He's going to let him have it, which of course... Wildfire is made of pure energy, so it's not like he can really hurt him by decking him. The most he could do is, like, knock a hole in his suit. So anyway, he says, you, you idiot! Why? Why did you have to kill her? But she rushes in from off panel and grabs his arm, holding him back, and says, don't hurt him, Superboy. I'm all right. It was just a Legion training exercise. And he says, huh? Elna, alive. But, but... And she says, no, not Elna. I'm Laurel Kent. I wasn't harmed because I'm invulnerable. You haven't guessed, have you, that I'm your descendant? He says, my descendant? (laughs) Wildfire ducks in from off panel, doing a very classic thing you would see character, like if, like, say, like Spider-Man introduced his own story at some point, or, you know, that sort of thing, where they come in and their hand is, like, cocked, like they're introducing, like, you know, it's almost like the, the models on The Price is Right would do, where they'd hold their hand a certain way to get your attention to be drawn to, like, the, the new car, you know, that sort of thing. He's doing that, and it's just hilarious, you know, these two characters are standing all dramatic, looking at each other, you know, and you've got Wildfire ducking in doing this very much. And let me introduce you to... And he says, that's right. He says, eventually, when you become Superman, you'll marry and have kids. And a family that will continue into the 30th century. And Superboy says, and you inherited my superpowers? She says, just one. Invulnerability. That's how I made the Legion Academy. Uh, why did I want to meet you? You're my famous ancestor. I fled from wild, wildfire because he might give me away. And Superboy, he actually reaches out and he's holding her by the shoulders. You know, very, again, <laughs> one of these things you see on like Star Trek or something when the guy's talking to the girl, but they just have to grip him in that certain way. And he says, but why didn't you want me to know? And she hangs her head and she had, she just totally comes clean with Superboy. She says, because I liked you a little, because, because I liked you a little too much, I suppose. And I knew you liked me too. It figures, I guess. And he says, why is that? And she hesitates. Wildfire says, tell him, Laurel. He won't remember when he returns to his own time. We use super hypnosis to block out any knowledge of his own future. And there's a really nice close-up panel of her that's really done very well. She's very pretty. And it's obvious who they're drawing her to look like in this one panel. And she says, well, I look very, very much like the girl you're destined to marry. And she does look exactly like Lois Lane. And so then later, as Superboy once again penetrates the time barrier heading for the mid-20th century and home, He's thinking to himself, I can't help feeling sad about her, but I'm glad she told me about the girl she resembles, the one I'll marry. And then it cuts to the very next panel as he's closing in on Smallville and the Kent farm. He says, what was I thinking? Hmm, suddenly can't seem to recall. Oh, well, I guess it wasn't anything important. And that's how the story ends. And this is my first time ever reading this, my first time learning that Wow, I was completely dead wrong about this character that uh, she actually was revealed, totally came clean in her very first appearance. I don't know if that would have changed my perspective on the character had I read this story previously, had I known all this. I kind of like the way I discovered the character later on in bits and pieces and putting it all together on my own. So it was really fun to go back and, and look at this story. I dug it. I got a real kick out of it. The art. It's fantastic. Um, I'm so sad that uh, 
I, I missed the most recent Dragon Con because Grell was actually there. Oh, I wanted to meet him so bad. I would love to get him to sign some of this old Legion stuff that I loved so much as a kid. Um, but I really got a kick out of this story. I liked it a whole lot. And I miss um, Laurel Kent. I have always been very... Uh, <laughs> I've always held a grudge, I guess you could say, about the way she was handled later on. Because post-crisis, and this is a big old spoiler, so if you don't want to know about this, uh, go ahead and skip the end of the show, folks. Thank you for listening. But post-crisis, they ruined her. I mean, she had, she, after this, you know, again, she had, she was very spottily used in, in Legion stuff, but there was one really cool story. It was in a a Legion annual. I want to say it was Legion annual number one, but I could be wrong. I think, I think that's right. And it was a story called Who Shot Laurel Kent? So all of a sudden she went from being extremely backgroundist to suddenly she was, you know, forefront and center of this story. And it was a great story where one of the old Legion, or excuse me, not Legion, one of the old Justice League bad guys was an immortal. I want to say it was Professor Ivo, but I could be wrong. But anyway, it was one of the old Legion bad... Uh, again, not Legion. Justice League. Justice League bad guys survived into the 30th century, and he had uh, come up with this plan where he was going to kill the descendants of the original Justice Leaguers. So he was hunting down you know, the, the great, 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 greats, you know, granddaughters and whatever, grandsons, whatever, descendants of the original Justice Leaguers. And, of course, that puts Laurel Kent right in his sights. And he shoots her with a kryptonite bullet. And it was this whole involved thing. But I, I just liked finally seeing her jump from, you know, the occasional, you know, glimpse on one panel in one issue to suddenly, boom, right in the middle of the story. I liked that.